Good morning. Today, I'm going to wrap up this series of messages on relationships and the words that we say to one another. Uh, this is powerful, a powerful message, I think, not only for what we're trying to do in the city, but, but how we strengthen and grow one another in our relationships. And life, it doesn't matter whether you're single, doesn't matter if you're married, doesn't matter if you're a teenager, doesn't matter if you're a student, doesn't matter if you're, doesn't matter how old you are, the quality of our life is enhanced by our relationships and the strength of our relationships. Some of the most important uh, work that we can do and some of the best coaching that we can get in life is to have people speak some positive words into us that, that we can grow and we can develop in this area. I know sometimes that you know, we sit here in the sanctuary and we feel discouragement in this part of our life. And, and if I'm talking to you this morning and you're feeling discouragement, you know, maybe in your relationship with a parent or maybe a relationship with a child, maybe in your marriage, or maybe you're single and you haven't found uh, a person to share your life with, I just want to tell you to not give up hope and, and to, just, to just keep believing. Just keep believing. Um, I've been using songs every week to build the sermons off of, and um, I, I chose a song this week, and I'm not going to sing it, I promise. Last week I did, and several people didn't come back this week. Um, but there's a song by Lady Antebellum, and it's a great country group, and they got some great music. And it's a song called Things People Say, and the lyrics, I think, are just really terrific because they talk about the promises that people make to each other and, and what happens when we don't keep our promises. And the person singing the song says, what about the plans that we made? And you just left them behind. You know, we had plans to buy a house and we actually put a down payment on the house and we were going to begin this life together. And you looked them in the eye and you said to me, I'm going to be with you till my dying day. And the song's about how the person who made this promise didn't keep the promise, didn't honor the words that they said, and then walked off and chased another dream and falls in love with someone else, and the promise is broken. That's painful when you've been on the end of a broken promise, or even if you've been the person perhaps that, have, that has broken the promise. And so the person who sings this song wrote these words said something that I, th I thought was really meaningful. He said, when we make promises, are, are they just things that people say? Are they just empty words? The truth is that our words are powerful. The words that come out of our mouth, Jesus said, really show what's inside of us. There are no empty words. Well, I didn't really mean it. Well, if you said it, you did mean it. Because where did it come from? Jesus says it comes out of the inside of our hearts. And our relationships can either be elevated by our words or our relationships can be depleted and deflated by our words. If you look in Ephesians and you dig in Scripture, it's a great place to look. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul really gets down into some real practical teaching. 
he spends the first three chapters just sort of pouring into the writing saying, this is who God is for you. This is what God believes about you. This is, this is the truth of what Christ sees in you. This is who Christ is for you. And at that point in chapter 3, he makes a shift, and he says, because of who Christ has been for you, this is who you need to be for Christ. He has spoken words of affirmation about who you are. Now Paul is saying, it's time to put away the old life and to begin a new life, to let go of the old things and begin the new things. And so he starts moving from theology to ethics uh, to lifestyle to behavior. And in that, he talks about all kinds of things, all kinds of practical subjects like, you know, anger and frustration and anxiety. But this, this to me, may be the most challenging part of what he says about how we live and behave based on who Christ is for us. He says in 429 about the power of words. Do not let any, now underline the word any, he means any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, only let the words come out of your mouth what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So just, just take a moment and think about what he's saying here and do an inventory of your relationships and the people in your life over the past week. Did the words that came out of your mouth, were they encouragement? Did they offer encouragement? Did they offer discouragement? Did the words that come out of your mouth elevate the people around you? Or did they deflate the people around you? Now, I, I, I just got, before I go on, let David Emery uh, be very transparent. I need help on this. I need help. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you and preach a message to you without just being really transparent about where I'm struggling with this. Last week, I challenged you to pick a word because love is a verb to pick a word out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and to pick a word and to live into it. My word was the word rejoice, rejoice. Do not delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. And so what I was going to do all week was I was going to look at the way that I talk and the way that I speak to my wife, to my son, to my daughter, to my granddaughter, uh, to my son's friends, to the people at church, to my colleagues, I was going to, and, and are the words that coming out of my mouth, are they rejoicing words? Am I celebrating people? Instead of critiquing people, criticizing people, I'm going to applaud people. Instead of walking in at the end of a day and saying, Alex, why did you leave your sweaty socks that you pulled off your feet after cross-country practice on the dining room table, the bar area where we eat, why don't I say instead, man, it's terrific. That's awesome. These socks are really sweaty. You must have worked really hard to sweat that much. So I was going to do that. But I got to tell you, it's not that easy. So yesterday, epic failure. 
epic. I promised myself a reward. I did something very demanding physically yesterday that really pushed me to the end of my physical and mental limits. It was crazy. And I told myself, if I could complete this task, that I was going to find the greasiest, messiest, juiciest cheeseburger on the earth and eat it with a great big plate of fries. Now, I never eat this, but this is my reward, man. And it pulled me to the end of this challenge. So on that day, later in the day, we had to go to a birthday party. And lots of kids and one of my best friends on the earth, he's having a birthday party, and they have ordered a bunch of Papa John's. I'm not going to eat it because I'm going to get the biggest nastiest cheeseburger ever okay I've earned it so Teresa and I we go over we're at the party and my friend says to me hey man go get some pizza I go no it's okay I'm not really hungry second time go get some pizza it's great get some why aren't you eating pizza don't you want some aren't you hungry and I said no um Teresa and I plan to go out a little bit later we need some date time. And I was really lying, to be honest. I wasn't so interested in the date. I was just interested in the cheeseburger. Just being honest. I earned it. You know, I earned it. It's all about me, right? Third time, my friend says, go get some pizza. And then these words came out of my mouth. Listen, man, that's the third time you've asked me, and I'm not going to waste my 20.5 mile run this morning on eating a piece of Papa John's pizza. You talk about deflating. And the worst problem? Teresa heard me say it. So now we're in the car and we're driving over to walk over the Big Four Bridge to go get dinner. And uh, it's pretty much ruined the meal, right? So we get over there, we have the meal, we've forgotten about it. And, uh, you know, we've forgotten all about what I said and you know, I've sent a text to my friend apologizing, you know, all that kind of stuff for being so rude. Then we're walking back over the big four bridge. And Teresa says, hey, do you want to go to the fair? Now, I live in Kentucky, but I don't like the fair. And so what I need to remember is that when my wife says, let's go to the fair, what she's really saying is, I just want to spend time with you and look at pigs. That's what, you know, that's what <laughs> <laughs> or something, you know, something like that. So, so without even thinking about what had just occurred, what are the first words that come out of my mouth? I said, look, I don't ever want to go to the fair, and if you want to go to the fair, find somebody else because I'm not going. Instead of asking, hey, would you want to go to the fair? That'd be great. Let's go. Let's spend some time together. She doesn't want to go to the fair. She just wants to be with me, Right? Then I spent the rest of the time on the bridge with her walking ahead of me, and she's got shorter legs. <laughs> this is discouraging. I woke up this morning, and I'm preparing a sermon, and I recognize that when it comes to being the person that Jesus is calling David Emery to be, there's a huge, huge, huge gap 
between my proclamation and my performance. But here's why I'm not discouraged. Because I reminded myself of something in my prayer time this morning. That it's not about perfection, it's about progress. And secondly, when it comes to me becoming more like Jesus and becoming a better person and and having the words come out of my mouth that build people up, it's not overnight, it's over time. Then I remembered something else, that, that that Jesus rejoices in me. That's what all of Ephesians is all about. All of Ephesians is Paul's just saying, man, you know, you're not who you need to be, but man, you need to know, look at who Jesus is for you, that while we were set sinners, Jesus Christ died for us, that you are a masterpiece of God's creation, that the divine spark has been put inside of you. And when we remember those words, we know we can approach him with our gap because he rejoices in us and he will work with us. And here's the truth. God does his great work in the gap between our proclamation and our performance. He doesn't give up. That's just encouraging. You know, you know talking about relationships, let me remind you of a few things. So, You know, we want to be in these healthy relationships. We want to bless people. So the first thing I've said, I call these relationship lifters, relationship lifters. And the first thing you need to know about relationships is this, that um, love is a verb. It's something that we do. It's what we do. It's not something that we feel or we fall into. So I can say to my wife, I love you. But if what she hears from me is, I don't want to go to the fair with you because I don't like the fair and I say ugly things and rude things and don't take into account her feelings, then that is not love. Words must be backed by actions. Love is demonstrated by things we do, not what we say. The second thing is that when it comes to our relationships, the world tells us that it's all about finding the right person, but the Bible says it's not about finding the right person, it's about becoming the right person. That God cares more about who you are becoming than God cares about who you are seeking. Third thing then, is that when we look for our fulfillment in our relationship with God, all our other relationships become more fulfilling. What that means is, You know, another person can't fill you on the inside. Only God can do that. And if you will get that right, if you will make your relationship with God your primary focus of your life, God will rejoice in you and speak truth to you. He will use his word to teach you, and he will grow you as he grows me into being the people we want to be. And the more fulfilled I find myself in my relationship with God, the better everything else gets around me. Now, I've been thinking about this comment today. You know, 50% of the church are single. 
but we tend to be, because sometimes preachers are married, we tend to preach like everybody in the church is married. If you're single and you're here today, realize you're not unusual, you're, you're, you're the norm, right? And sometimes I don't use illustrations that reflect single life. Well, I did a, 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 an extensive survey this week about the dumb things people say when they break up in relationships. It was pretty extensive. I spent about five minutes on the internet. <laughs> Google dumb things guys say when they break up with someone. And you know, what's really funny is what guys say, but what they really mean. Like, I need space. What I need space really means is I found somebody else, but I'm holding on to you still as an option in case this one doesn't work out. Okay? There's a whole bunch of them, and they're just really dumb. But I made a top five list. I won't share the whole five with you, but here is the dumbest dumb guy thing that has ever been said about relationships. And let me explain to you why this is just really, really dumb. I'm going to say it, and I want you to finish it for me. It's not you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you said it, but I know some of you have said that. You're trying to get out of a relationship, and you're saying, it's not you, it's me. Or maybe you've had that said to you. But here's the truth about that statement. It's not you, it's me. What they're really saying is, oh, no, it is about you, and I don't want anything to do with you because I don't like you. And I'm not into you, so it is about you, but I'm just saying this because I'm trying to get off the hook. Okay, that's one level of truth. Okay, you want to get down to the real truth about it's not you, it's me? The funny thing is the idiot that says that has no clue because it's really about them. Okay? The person that says it's not you, it's me, it really is that person. It's always that person that says it. Because when it comes to your relationships, that is always true. It's not you, it's me. Because if you want a healthy relationship, you become the person that God wants you to be. You can't change another person. You can't fix another person. You can lead another person to the water, but you can't make them drink. The best way to improve the quality of your relationships is to start improving the quality of your heart in your life. That's just the truth. If you're single and someone says to you, it's not you, it's me, go, darn right it's you. <laughs> the fourth thing then is, number four, words are powerful. They have influence. And this is what we have to work on, is they make or break our relationships. That's why Solomon, and if you look at the Bible, the Bible is replete with words about words and their power. That's why Solomon said, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Okay, now this is a quote. I want to share something with you that I've been thinking about for most of the week. Now, this is very specific to men to husbands. And listen, I wish I could get every husband in our church to hear this about how they talk to their wives, okay? And this is why I had to share what I shared earlier, because if I shared this 
because it is really doggone difficult to preach a sermon everywhere about this high level of living when I look over and I see my wife sitting over here and my son and my daughter, granddaughter, my nephew sitting over there, and they realize that I speak sometimes at an elevated level but come home and deflate everything with what comes out of my mouth, okay? So I can't quote this without saying what I said earlier. Also, you're saying, well, that has nothing to do with me because I'm not a husband. But listen, this applies to anything, so just put yourself in it personally. But Joel Olstein from Houston, this is what he said. It is important for a husband to understand that his words have tremendous power in his wife's life. He needs to bless her with words. She's given her life to love and care for him, to partner with him, to create a family together, and to nurture their children together. If he's always finding fault in something she's doing, always putting her down, he will reap horrendous problems in his marriage and in his life. Moreover, many women today are depressed and feel emotionally abused because their husbands do not bless them with their words. One of the leading causes of emotional breakdowns among married women is the fact that women do not feel valued. One of the main reasons for that deficiency is because husbands are willfully or unwittingly withholding the words of approval and appreciation from women who so desperately desire it. Man, this is good stuff. It is the truth. If you want to see God do wonders in your marriage, start praising your spouse, start appreciating her and encouraging her. Every day a husband shall tell his wife, I love you, I appreciate you, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Man, if we did that, it would change everything. This is what affirmation does. When you affirm someone like that, you get more of what you affirm. So affirm what you want to grow. When you affirm other people, you know what happens? It grows your heart toward them. As you begin to focus on what's good in them, it grows your love for them, and it becomes easier to affirm them because you see the good things. The third thing affirmation does is it strengthens, it strengthens the qualities in them that you want to see them, see them grow. So you go back to what Paul said, and you've got to ask yourself. Look at this list of words on unwholesome words. These are unwholesome words, sarcastic, unsupported, disrespectful, comparing, comparing how they compare to other people, selfish words. These are wholesome words, affirming words, encouraging words, caring words, cheerleading words, grace-filled words. So here, here's what Jesus says, two things. Jesus said that out of the abundance of our heart is where our words come from. So the words that come out of your mouth reveal what's inside of you. That's where they come from. Oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, yeah, you did. If you said it, you meant it. There are no throwaway words. That is a bunch of blimey to say, well, I didn't mean it. I just said it. Baloney. You said it. You meant it. You know why you meant it? Because it came out of your heart. That word came from somewhere. It came from inside your heart. So if you want to change what comes out of your mouth, you have to give God your heart and let him change your heart. The second thing Jesus said is, 
He said, your father, speaking of God, already knows what you need. And you can trust him. So you invite him to change your heart. So that those things that come out of your mouth build people up, encourage, grow, and develop people. I know some of you today may feel a little bit discouraged by all this, and you're thinking, I got a lot of work to do. You may even feel out of place in church. Listen, if the church can have an idiot like me be a minister, everybody's welcome. Yeah, if you're looking for the ministers got all figured out, this is probably not the church for you. But what I want to tell you is don't be discouraged. Don't give up. And, and finally, to quote Journey, just keep believing.